Welcome to Q&A, a podcast series of conversations with artists from the Kaddish Gallery at St. Ambrose University. Kristen Musnug, hello. Hello. <laughs> and we have a few people here today, um, so it's more of a quiet conversation, but I thought we could start by just you know, briefly touching on what, what the work is for the listener. We have about a dozen smaller paintings and two medium-sized paintings, and they're all still lives. You know, I think maybe um, they're all of a similar subject matter, a body of work that you've started this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So generally speaking, I think you could sort of, on a surface level, describe them as a big chunk of ground on a table yeah, <laughs> with, some, with some plants growing out of them. <laughs> they are kind of a twist on the idea of a still life in that regard literally dug up a chunk of the earth and brought it inside to paint. So I thought I'd just start with that subject matter and how, how that came to be. Well, it started with Durr's great chunk of turf. And, and actually it started uh, with a class I was teaching this spring and they, um, I wanted them to deal with you know, objects that were, you know, that were complex where they would have to chunk their visual responses. And among other things I brought in, I showed them pictures of Durr's great chunk of turf and I, and I dug up a few pieces and I brought them in and nobody chose to paint them <laughs> and I was like but these would be so fun to paint so I took them home and I was like well okay I'll paint them myself and then that was the first couple ones and then and then after that I started like looking around for more places to dig up ground and the most interesting places were uh, kind of what I came to think of as feral ground like a vacant lot or alongside a parking lot or something that where humans had been involved and then, but weren't actively taking care of it or planting anything. So, and I began to see a lot of these, uh, a lot of alien species that I recognized from a previous project that I'd done. And uh, there was just a lot of, there was just a lot of different kinds of plants there. And so, and nobody cares if you dig up a chunk of ground in these places. So <laughs> that also made it. So some near some new construction, there might be they leveled the ground out and then just sort of left it and yeah, random or, things will grow. Yeah, or there were some places where uh, a light industrial site where uh, things have been torn down or where a house had been torn down or just by the side of the road. So to step back, these are painted from observation. Yes. You bring them back to your studio. You actually sit on the table and you work directly from them. Yeah. And, you know, before we started the podcast, you mentioned that you sort of had them in different areas of your studio so that maybe light from different time of day would affect them or... Yeah, because I realized they were all going to look the same if I just kept painting them where I had painted the first couple ones. So you are generally a sunlight painter? like you? Yeah, most of, my, most of my stuff I do outside on site which is the case with the two medium-sized ones, although they both had studies that were done on site and then they came back in. So these, these aren't the studies, these are the finished right, studio was, paintings? Yeah. Okay. And then how does that work? How does that process work for you with the study? Uh, it's like a quick sketch that day, multiple session? It depends, uh-huh. you know. Sometimes there's multiple studies and sometimes I go back and I draw if I don't understand the volume really well. I do take a lot of photographs, mm. although I tend to use those as like this piece, that piece, rather. You know, if I just paint the photograph, it's right. boring. Right. You're not a grit. You don't grit it out and oh. copy it over. No. <laughs> not your way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have that kind of patience. I just, I just like go at it. I make a huge mess, and then I like fight my way out of that. Uh-huh. Usually, with those. 
So with these still lives in the studio, then how did that change anything in terms of the desire to be more literal with more or less abstract and the choices that you're making to finish the painting? Yeah, well, with these, I, you know, it was really important to me that the plants were at least uh, somewhat recognizable. You know, like if you knew the plant, then you could say, yeah, that's a ragweed or whatever. So I had to be fairly precise about them, and that, and that limited my choices somewhat. Like I couldn't go in all, you know, crazy. I had to, I had to think them out a little bit before I started. And, you know, and once you've painted some fussy little leaf thing, you don't want to have to paint around it too much. Sometimes I did, but I, you know, I mean, every background got more work on it after the plants were on there, but it wasn't like I was going to repaint those backgrounds 10 times. So would you say that these studies, these little chunk studies are a, f a deeper delve into realism than normal or just a, just a slightly different take on the normal process for you? I'm, you know, it usually, it usually matters to me that things are real. I don't know why I don't have a real good, like, rationale for why that's important, but I just do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, I, I mean, I think it was just more sort of like the level of detail, probably, on these that was different. Yeah, and because they're so small, you know. So, what, uh, how long have you been, uh, been painting from the landscape, the still life landscape? I've been painting the landscape since second year in graduate school, so... That was a long time ago, 87, maybe? <laughs> yes. 87, so that's 40 years? No, that's 30 years. <laughs> that's 30 years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, wait. Math challenged, yeah. 97, 07, yeah, yeah. 30 <laughs> years. 30 years of painting from observation, either in the studio with the still life or in the landscape that's primarily been your mode. Yeah, I started always just specifically going outside, and I, I would have a car full of gessoed boards, and I would, like, find a place and just pick out the right board and go out there. And It was my first year of grad school, I was doing a lot of sort of more abstracted paintings, using collages as a point of departure, and I just found I had no basis for making decisions. I just, it's sort of like, I couldn't figure out why it mattered whether I did this thing rather than the other thing. And then when I started painting landscape, it was just very clear and direct for me, and I much more clearer, less complicated process mm -hmm. for me. And it seemed like what I thought and felt just translated itself without a lot of agony. It was, a, it was just a good fit. Yeah. Now, I I know a little bit about Indiana, Indiana University, where you guys went to school, but it was primarily known as a figurative school at the time. Is that correct, or? Painting from figures? Uh, I think or? that became more figurative a little bit later. Okay. Um, what was it like? Dense. It was a lot of dense paintings with semi-abstract with kind of Italian palettes, if I had to sum it up in like three things. Uh -huh. And hmm. painterly paint. And painterly paint. Big paintings? Everybody had to go big? That was sort of encouraged. Yeah. We didn't have to. Just didn't. <laughs> 18 feet. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you give me a broom? Well, yes, I did. <laughs> no, a snow shovel. Snow shovel. <laughs> did you do it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was always limited by what could fit in my car, uh -huh. right. so because I would take it out on site, and then yeah. and then eventually I wanted to paint bigger than that, so then I started doing studies on paint. 
and using photography. But at that point, I knew like what would not, what would be and what would not be in the photograph. So, you know, I would try to get the space and the color on site because that you could never get right. in the photograph. And just the your reaction. I mean, I you have a different reaction when you're sitting outside in a place and there's like you know bugs and wind and things happening. That's very different from when you're like looking at this little frozen right. picture. Was there ever a time where you were very strict about that, where the painting had to be all on site all the time? Or were you always willing to take no, that back? No, because things change, you know, a lot. I mean, I, I would take them back. If I can, I will frequently go back and, and work there again. There's some construction going on outside. Actually, destruction going on outside. They took the garage down. It's gone. <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> it was a more of a feel process for you to find that you were more engaged in the landscape than what maybe they, other people might have been doing at the grad school at the time. And, and that sounds like it's delving into that abstraction, but maybe the foundation for abstraction wasn't, was it, what, where were they coming from, at least in the school, for pushing it towards oh, abstraction? Oh, in Indiana? I don't know. There was a lot of, there wasn't that much geometric abstraction there at the time. A lot of it was sort of organic. Sort of slipping in and out of abstraction and yeah. from observation. Yeah. And so you found the found the landscape and that's you know a very traditional process, but was there anything conceptually particular to the landscape that you were really drawn to that started to come out in the work? Or? Oh yeah, well I've always been fascinated by the things that people do <clears throat> to the land and how those interactions occur and how you know we conceptualize nature and how that affects what we do to it and the you know the way that we sort of like restructure it for our own amusement, the kind of landscape that we like to be in. You know, like I did a series in national parks once, for instance, which you, know, you think of as being like, oh, it's pristine wilderness, but <laughs> you know, it's carefully yeah. managed to be that way. Or as I mentioned earlier, I did a, a bunch of paintings of invasive species, and which was interesting because it really changed the way that I started looking at nature because prior to that, like the woods were just the woods, but now I go in the woods and I can see, oh, this is an intact you know, ecosystem with all the original diversity in it, and this one is full of, you know, like one kind of vine or something that came from somewhere else. So I was thinking about that with these two, and that's why I sort of chose to focus on land that really had been disturbed and then or disrupted in some way. I mean. And then it was disrupted again because I dug it up and brought it in the house. Yeah, so most of these plants are what we would consider weeds. Um, some of them are alien. Some of them are well-behaved aliens. And some of them are, you know, invasive and will, you know, essentially, like, take over. And so I was thinking a little bit about uh, just, like, as humans, these are, you know, that we're, like, creating these spaces, even though we're not necessarily, like, managing them or doing anything with them. They're kind of leftover space, but they're still like a product of us, and they're kind of like, you know, like squirrels and robins and rats and stuff. They're just something that sort of like comes along with humans. In fact, there's one of the plants in here, Native Americans called it the white man's foot because it, you know, it would just, I guess it was spread by the hooves of cattle or something, and so they would see it even in like the. That was never there before, but now it's here. Yeah, so I was thinking about just like, know a weed planet you know like where do we you know how far does this go I mean does like the whole planet eventually become like this 
and and then sometimes I would think of these things as like I, I had an argument, ongoing argument with a friend about invasive species, and she was like, "Well, they're just hardworking immigrants who are doing jobs that nobody else wants to do," <laughs> which is sort of true. I mean, these waste places are really unforgiving. You know, it's just like gravel or construction dirt, and not much wants to grow there. So the things that do grow there, you know, you gotta—they've got this like feral toughness about them that you have to kind of admire. But at the same time, they also then, I, I started thinking about like, you know, that people talk about disruption a lot in business these days. And, you know, like it's a really great thing. And I, you know, I have my doubts about that. Yeah, every revolution <laughs> has a lot of losers, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, what grew in these places before they got disrupted was probably a, you know, mosaic of interesting, you know, species that fed birds and animals and were just part of, was part of that. And it's sort of like, you know, little mom and pop stores get forced out by but at the same time I mean I'm sort of making them out to be like this enemy but at the same time they were very beautiful I mean I found myself getting really fascinated by you know the intricacies of leaf shapes and the different colors of dirt complicated paintings in that in the way we are supposed to see them with that knowledge I mean not having spoken with you I might not have known they were invasive or or taken from areas where they're reclaiming, you know, man-touched earth, but I would probably most of the time think of them as weeds or yeah. untended land, probably, and then observe them with real care, and uh, you're depicting them with real care, but you have mixed feelings about them, too, you know, so I think there's an interesting, complicated poetic to these paintings, so that, you know, there are their observations of uh, as much of of us and our activity as they are of the nature. I think that's um, that's pretty interesting. Well, it's more interesting to paint things that you have complicated feelings about. Yeah. Do you think that's developed from the time when you first went out to paint to now? I mean, Maybe not the first time because I first started painting in salt marshes near where I grew up. It was a landscape that I'd always loved. But but yeah, pretty quickly. You know, I found that when I had complicated feelings, it just kept me engaged in the painting more. You know, if it was all just horrible, I just didn't have the stomach to do it. And it was all beautiful. Like, what do you do? You know, like, how do you make that better? Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily, I think, know my feelings about these. The, I think the only nod to that is that I made a rule for myself that I had to put them on something that was trash. Mm -hmm. And some of the trash I found on the sites and some of it was lying around. There was some really great old boards in our uh, graduate studios that people had left on. You didn't have an impulse to put any of them in water. Well, that one with the ditch plants, they were in water, so I had to paint them in a tub of water. Okay. It's funny, this like thriving environment on this dry piece of insulation. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something. Yeah, that's a clue, that. isn't it? Yeah, uh -huh. it's a clue to that. One thing that strikes me is that they're, like, they're man interaction with nature, but in not the way that we typically think of. Like, Iowa is the most altered state from any state in the country. Like, I think it's right. less than 5% is what it was, you know, 300 years ago. Well, people typically think of farming, housing, like this, like the perfect manicured landscape with a lawn. And that tends to be how we think of an altered landscape. And this is like, what happens when that stuff disappears? What happens when that house comes down? 
empty lot or that perfect parking lot <laughs> doesn't get maintained after like 20 years and there's cracks and like what develops out of that. So it's kind of like the after effects of that, not the like shiny, like I think of like the Grantwood paintings of like the cornfields, like, like those are all altered landscapes, but they were kind of our nostalgic Idealistic. Idealistic oh yeah, driving here, I, I felt like I was driving through a Brentwood painting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the one that was at an old house site was the one where there were like plants that you would have in a garden. That was where like there was milkweed and black-eyed Susan and yeah. an elm seedling and something. I never did figure out what it was, but there were other things around that were, you know, garden flower the rest of them. Yeah, I mean that was made me curious and something I, I don't necessarily know is like how did these seeds get here? There was um, one of them was from you know I built my house and there was a low spot so I had topsoil brought in and like a bunch of strange things came in with that you know kind of like agricultural weeds that I'd never you know that were not in my neighborhood but but yeah you wonder how did these things get here and how do they move around? The neighborhood was um, pretty heavily damaged Quite a few of the houses in the neighborhood are really into gardening, and, and some native and some, you know, different kinds of species. But I had a neighbor tell me that after the tornado, there was a lot of, you know, structural damage that people were disposing of, and the city allowed you to put it in what we kind of call easement, you know, between the sidewalk and the street, and they would pick it up. Well, most of the neighborhood that's grass, and they just piled up all sorts of lumber waste material, it was really heavy. And she said that the year after all of that, nothing was growing but weird plants that she'd never seen before. And she did this research and that all of that weight being on the ground for so many months compacted the soil. So this, these different weed species came in that could deal with the compacted soil. She said it took a couple of years of that to then have normally yeah. in the yard and I was like that's so fascinating <laughs> yeah and they may have been there all along who knows yeah, who knows but she just was like this was really weird <laughs> yeah I took after I painted these because I had like a fairly short window of time after which they would just start you know not doing well inside in a box and and I had this big sort of shallow wooden box and I've just been like dumping the soil in there and watering it and like this whole new crop of weeds, like that aren't even, that weren't even in the originals, you know, like these other seeds are coming up now. And so I'm probably going to make a painting of that once they get going a little more. Has your interest in, you know, naming and researching the plants, has that kind of come with the becoming an observational painter, or was there always a, another interest in biology or nature in that regard? Yeah, I, I have always been interested in that kind of stuff. I was raised by naturalist parents, okay. so you know there was a lot of, they would go on expeditions deep into the pine barrens to see some like rare fern or something. I wasn't interested as a child, I'd sit in the car. You know, Cheetos and read a book or something yeah. when my parents were doing that. It was soaking in though. But yeah, yeah, it soaked in, so. Yeah, well, uh, some of this also started because I got interested in mushrooms and then I started, uh, you know, when I was out in the woods, spending a lot more time looking at the ground and, and so, you know, things definitely grew out of that. But, but yeah, I mean, these were interesting because I was trying to track down what are all these plants, some of them I knew, but some of them I wasn't familiar with. 
you know, they're not all in my wildflower book because they're not all wildflowers. Mm. And so I was going on like agricultural weed identification sites and yeah, one of them, and I'm really proud of tracking it down. It's the one called Clammy Hedge Isop. Isop? And yeah, and I only found that one because I it's got like these tiny flowers that are like the size of a grain of rice, and they're just really like you would never notice them. And when I finally discovered what they were, their their uh, Latin name was something like Gratiola neglecta. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, you could overlook that really easily. Uh, <laughs> you just love a quest. <laughs> you know, you always have. I do, yeah. I mean, there was something fun about this because it brought together a lot of things that I'm interested in, like, like gardening and natural history and invasive plants and, I don't know, trash picking. You know, and can I ask this? You're, you're, in the old days, 30 years ago, you always described painting a landscape was kind of like you wanted to make it feel like a room, so there was the floor and the walls and the ceiling. Oh. And, and so I'm looking at these paintings <laughs> and I'm thinking, Oh, these are so much more um, not that. They're like vast in a like traditional landscape way, even though they're oh, that's funny. So they're like expansive, but they're interiors paintings. So they're really different than the way you used to construct a space. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and the nice thing was that, you know, I could get them pretty close to eye level, many of them, which the project I did before this, I was painting the forest floor but that was really difficult because the ideal viewing height was about 12 inches off the ground. And, you know, I ended up painting a lot of things that were on rock formations because I could, oh. you know, get those eye level, but a lot of them was just, and it just wasn't the same if you were looking down on them. So that was a struggle. But this was great because I could just bring them in, put them at eye level, and then, you know, yeah, then it's like you're in this little landscape almost. Like a, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just so yeah. atmospheric for being interiors. They feel like they're at the beach. Your, your chunks of, of foliage at the beach. Do these have a next step? Are they kind of work on this body of work? Is there a next step where these expand into something? Or? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I just finished them a couple weeks ago, so I'm still thinking about it. I do want to paint the, you know, the box of dirt mm -hmm. and see what comes up in that. Yeah, but beyond that, I'm not. I'm not sure what direction I would want to take these in. I, I think. I mean, it's sort of interesting this conflation that you're talking about with the intimate still life, but the chunk from outside brought indoors. But the paintings end up having this sort of expansive feel, landscape feel to them. So it seems like that's another complexity that could keep going, right? Yeah large-scale version of one of these would be pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, I think, I don't, I think I'm probably going to like do something that where I don't have to be this precise uh, for a while. Because uh -huh. My little tiny brush has got a good workout. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit of technique um, with these and with, with your work in general. Um, you, is it all oil paintings through and through? Or um, most, mix, of these, or? most of these I started with acrylic. Okay. Yeah, last couple of years ago, I was at a, you know, I was out painting the Pacific Northwest, and I, I mean, I never did much of acrylic, but I was out painting the Pacific Northwest, and I was going to fly home, and so like the last few days, I was like, okay, well, I'll just switch to acrylic now, so things can get a chance to dry, 
And I'd always tried to make acrylic be like oil, and it's not. But this time, for some reason, I was just like letting the acrylic be acrylic and just like make a mark and let it dry instantly, and that was fine. So, and it was fun, so I kept on doing that. So with these, I, um, with most of them, not all of them, with most of them, there is an acrylic underlayer, so I could go really fast, you know? I could, and fast and loose in a, in a way that I couldn't necessarily with oil, and then in most cases, you don't really see that. There's a few places in most of them where you do see a little bit of it coming through. Most of the acrylic is covered by the end of the process. Yeah. Uh, so it starts as a white ground. You paint on a white white ground, and then underpainting is true to the color, or is it just a draw, sort of a drawing element? Or um, it's sort of true to the color, or sometimes it's a little bit darker because then I'll leave that in place as like shadow mm. sometimes. But mostly it's just almost like a rehearsal, just like feeling my way around it, giving myself a basis that I can go back and work on. And you said that in, in, the, in this case you would be a little more precise than you might with the landscape normally, but is it where you would actually you measure and are you like, or is it really more just like paint and uh, spend time and work through passages? I do, uh, I do a little bit of measuring in the beginning to get everything, you know, I have a viewfinder um, okay. with a th thread crosshair. I see, so you have a little, little, grit, little bit of a gritting... It, yeah, just to get everything sort of sense. established, yeah. because, I mean, these are, it's, it's, it would surprise me how difficult these were, because they're so tiny, and they're, you know, they exist in three dimensions, so like a little bit of head movement one way or the other, and things are just all different. So I would have to sort of really nail down a view early on, and then and then after that I just yeah. So you felt you felt a little bit more of a process pressure to do that in this case where you might not in these other earlier paintings. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Where usually. an inch left to right doesn't really make that big a difference. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> and I, you know, I would actually, you know, it's probably not a surprise, but it was to me that. That I, you know, because they're in the round too, so like I would have this almost infinite number of ways of looking at them. So, you know, it's almost like I would put them on a cake stand. I mean, I don't have a cake stand, but it was kind of like that. I put them on a stool and like wheel them around until I got a, yeah. a view that I liked. A palette? Your palette is the same for each, or you bring the same palette to each painting, or do you work off of each? Uh, no, I, 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 um, I try to make a palette for each painting. So I'll spend some time before I start, you know, like figuring out the kind of major players in the palette, and you know, I'll mix those up and put them on a piece of paper to have handy. Cool. But like, oh, this was another Indiana thing, I think, yeah. that the giant palette. Remember, Bob Barnes had like 50 colors out at any given time, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there are these painters who, who use like six colors, yeah. but I'm not one of those, and. So what's your what's your typical palette end up being? I mean, number wise, uh, shade wise, I, I don't know. I couldn't even count because I I might have the main ones that I'm using, but then I'll have all the others lying around, and I'll be like, oh, I need a little bit of this, and I need a little bit. Of this. <laughs> so you'll start with the major players, and then you'll add as as needed. For yeah, each yeah, and I'll I'll um and I'll pre mix like um, for instance with the greens. You know, because it's because if you're not careful, every green will start looking like he 
here it is light and here it is dark. And, you know, so you have to spend a fair amount of time just really comparing them because the differences are so subtle, but they're important, you know, to get those little hue and uh, temperature shifts. So I'll, I'll mix those up ahead of time. At least a starting point for all those. So maybe like plant to plant, like you'll identify a more yellowy green plant or, or just from what you yeah, see across yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, no, there are, yeah, there are definitely some plants where they're more yellowy or they have like a whitish thing going or they're just darker or whatever. And then and then there are light changes on them. You know, if they're getting sunlight through them or light bouncing off of them or reflected light or whatever, that because I'm gonna teach painting one this semester, but totally like gonna I'm like interrogating you on technique right now. But uh, what do you, what do you think about we we talked a little bit about um, uh, mediums earlier, how, how typically find a color, say, on, on the face of a, of, a, of a leaf? Do you build kind of, as you said, from that shadow up to, a, to, to find the right color? Do you allow for tran translucency? Do you, do you appreciate the translucency? Do you try to get rid of the translucency? Oh, I like to keep some translucency in there. I mean, sometimes I'll even bring it back. I'll repaint with a lighter color and go for a translucent color. Uh huh. So you, that's where the oil oil paint really can assert oh, yeah. itself and you allow it to kind of build up that complexity. Yeah, I mean, if the light conditions are right, I'll you know I'll use a pinhole. I'll mm -hmm. you know I'll have my little piece of cardboard with a hole in it. So isolate really the color. isolate the color. Yeah. Yeah. We just did those those grayscale ones the other day. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you guys have any other? Questions? You said you started this um, because your students didn't want to do it, correct? <laughs> yeah. And when was that? Uh, that was in March, I think. So you did all this since March. Yeah, I've had my head down. I've been, yeah, that's mostly what I've been doing all summer. Yeah, and um, and from Durr's, you know, great piece of turf. Oh, yeah. Because I just thought, like, who doesn't look at that and think, oh, that would be fun to do? Uh -huh. I guess a lot of people don't. <laughs> I, I gave that assignment once. Study this this area. <clears throat> yeah, although when weeks. you although when you look at it, he really does like draw every leaf. The dirt is just kind of like a, but the he really does draw every little plant. Whereas I found the dirt, I as time went on, I got very interested in the different soil colors. Uh -huh. and, you know, it's just and because you could be a lot more abstract with the dirt because. You know, there's no expectations about like how many leaves or you know. Yeah. yeah. Just sort of uh, follow through the uh, the rhythms and the, the rivulets and stuff. You can just kind of let the brush kind of travel through as you. Yeah, and it. there's more color in there, you know, than you, than you think. I was thinking about Indiana again, and um, I think one of our teachers, Bonnie Skolarski very, very intense realist. Mm -hmm. And Kristen and I had the luxury of like, um, we would go out and sort of tromp around nature with her going into caves and looking for geodes. Oh, yeah. And she knew so much. Like if this rock was here, she knew where in the strata it came from and what era it would be because if it's irony, it must be hypothetically Pleistocene. Mm -hmm. And so when she painted, yeah. She knew her subject, and and I think that was one thing that was always instilled in us that you know curiosity about the visual world and 
all aspects, and um, just really knowing your subject. And, and so it's like every quest, every era, be it your leisure paintings or your invasive species paintings, it's just like it's an excuse to learn something totally new. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the fun. I mean, I love painting, but I love a lot of other things, too. Yeah. It's a means to gaining knowledge and not just gaining knowledge, but coming to a closer relationship with these things that sort of may have been in the periphery in the past. That's yeah, I mean, I feel like, too, you know, somebody who is, you know, more of a scientist than I am, that, like, you could almost read these, like, texts that you'd be like, okay, you could tell the soil from this particular plant, or, you know, that you usually find this where there was, you know, such and such a thing. Like, for instance, um, in the Arkansas Ozarks where I live, a lot of it has become reforested in, you know, in the, the deers. And so you could be hiking through the woods and you'll see suddenly, you know, daffodils or deep in the woods or, you know, some other kind of plant that indicates a home site or, you know, like trees that are a particular weight because they, they grew in a pasture and then a forest grew up around them. So it makes it... It makes looking at the world this, you know, just really informative kind of thing. There's history and geology. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Kristen Musnug, for joining us and talking about your work. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Kristen Musnug's show is called Disturbed Ground. This has been Q&A, recorded in the Kadich Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Kadich and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Galvin Fine Arts and Communications Center, at 2101 North Gaines Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University, copyright 2017, and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.